the crowds were pressing in, hanging off every word he was saying, just wishing he would look their way. Maybe their house would be the house he would have dinner at today. After all, it's not every day Jesus comes to your town to teach. And among this crowd who was drawing near to hear Jesus was a very distinct group. And if you were to listen close, you would hear them mutter to one another. As if Jesus knew the words coming from their mouths, he asked the crowd a question. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? This one question would have drawn the attention of all the men and the boys in the crowd. For many of them would have known what it was like to have been a shepherd and what it would have felt like to lose one of their sheep. Jesus continued, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus continued with another question. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? At these words, all the women and girls leaned in. A bridal necklace around that time would have consisted of, of 10 coins, at least 10 coins. To lose one coin would ruin the necklace and embarrass the woman. Jesus continued, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus still had one more story he wanted to share. He explained that there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. One could feel the tension in the crowd. For a son to ask his dad for his inheritance before his dad had passed away? So disrespectful. And then for that dad to actually go through with it? Unheard of. And on top of that, he was now among pigs, an animal seen as unclean according to the Jewish law. You could see the look of disgust on the Pharisees' faces. Jesus continued. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I'm sure all of us have experienced losing things before. In my family, I am known to be the person to lose things. And I'm the second uh, oldest child. And growing up in elementary school, I would dread coming home on the school bus because usually I had misplaced something that day, whether it be my toque, my mitt, both mitts, my lunch kit, Luckily for me, I usually tended to find my lost item only to discover upon returning home that something else was missing. <laughs> Even today, my family tends to not trust me with the important things. And I even carry my church keys around on a large lanyard just so I can keep track of them. When I was eight years old, my brother, who was 18 months at that time, wandered off while we were busy playing outside on our farm. And he was nowhere to be seen. There was, there was fear that he had fallen, in, fallen into the sewer hole or had gone out into the field, which was worrisome because the farmers were cutting grain at that time. After looking all throughout the yard and not finding him, my mom called my dad and told him what had happened. I can still picture my mom's face on the phone. It was a look I had never seen before as a child. Her face was a look of desperation, fear, worry. She was just leaving the driveway to go look for him down the road when a gentleman from the oil company pulled up and asked if we were missing a little boy because a little boy and a dog were walking down the lease road together. And he couldn't get close to the little boy because the dog was keeping him away. So my mom said, yes, and she went and picked him up and brought her son home. God answered my parents' prayers that day with a yes in bringing Cole, my brother, home. Thinking about my experience of losing things and then remembering the look on my mom's face upon losing my brother makes me think of the emotions running through the shepherd who was looking for his lost sheep or the woman looking for her lost coin or the father looking for his lost son or how God desires for lost people to be found, because that's really what Jesus was talking about in the telling of these three lost stories, or three parables. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, so we can take a closer look at what God was telling us about his heart for the lost. If you want to Flip to the table of contents, you'll find uh, the book of Luke listed there. Once you find that part of your Bible, look for a giant 15, for chapter 15. First of all, notice how Jesus talks about the lost. He identifies them as valuable to the individuals. 
It's not another sheep, but it's this man's sheep from his flock. It's not another random coin, but it's this lady's coin, most likely from her bridal necklace. It's not the servant who's lost, but it's the son who's lost. God sees all people as valuable, not wanting one of them to be lost. Now, when I was growing up and going to church uh, and hearing about this story of the 99 sheep and then the one missing, I really disliked this story. Because first of all, that shepherd sure is not smart. Who will leave 99 to go after the one? You don't have to be a math brain to figure that one out. And then as a child, since I was saved at such a young age, I had become a Christian at a young age, I always identified myself as part of the 99. So to hear Jesus say that God would leave the 99, leave me to go after the one who wasn't listening anyways, that was not fair at all. But do you know what? It's important that we understand that by leaving the 99, the shepherd's not saying that they're unimportant to him. They were safe. But the one sheep who was lost was in danger. The fact that the shepherd would even go after just one sheep shows that all animals are dear to him. God values the lost. Second, notice how the individuals respond to the lost. You can't help but notice the passionate search that each individual takes on. Verse 4 says that the shepherd leads, uh, goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. Goes after, until. That's dedication, perseverance, passion. The woman turns her house upside down in search of her lost coin. She even lights a lamp. It was a costly search. She's passionate to find her lost coin. A man named Wearsby writes, It's easy for us today to read these two parables and take their message for granted. But the people who first heard them must have been shocked. Jesus was saying that God actually searches for lost sinners? No wonder the scribes and Pharisees were offended, for there was no place in their legalistic theology for a God like that. They had forgotten that God had sought out Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. And in spite of their supposed knowledge of scripture, the scribes and the Pharisees forgot that God was like a father who pitied his wayward children. Now, it's hard not to miss that in the first two stories, it explains a passionate and personal search for the lost. But in the third story, it does not say the father went looking for his son. But I want to draw your attention to verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Those words tell me that the father was doing this. He was looking for his son day after day after day because you have to be intentionally looking in order to see someone coming from a far ways off. Don't miss it. 
The father was passionately searching for his son. Now, we've been focusing on the lost. Let's focus on the found for a second, shall we? The father had still one son at home. He had 50% of his kids still with him. The shepherd had 99 sheep. He had 99%. The lady, she had nine coins. She had 90% of her necklace still intact. Could you imagine if 50% of the people of Southwest Edmonton were in our church this morning? How about 90% or even 99%? I think our church would be doing amazing things for God if even 50% of Southwest Edmonton residents were saved and attending Ellerslie. But you know what? These three stories tell me one big thing, that even if 99% of Southwest Edmonton called Ellerslie home, God would still be doing one big thing. He would still be like the father in our story, looking for that lost child. Because his heart's not just for the people who know him, but for the people who do not know him. He's searching for his lost people, whether that be 50%, 90, sorry, 50%, 10%, or 1%. Now, that's not meant to discourage you, but to encourage you. God wants everyone to be found. He wants every single person in Southwest Edmonton to know the love of their Heavenly Father. We get to serve that kind of God, a God who relentlessly searches for us. And as these three stories so beautifully demonstrate, God passionately searches for the lost. Ezekiel 34:11 says, "Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out." Now notice how the individuals respond to finding the lost. The man throws a party, the woman throws a party, the father throws a party. This aspect of God's heart for the loss is so important that Jesus specifically says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And again in verse 10, Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This shows God's heart and the priority of people being saved. You know what else it says? God likes to have a good party when his people are found. To, to God, people are the prize. We are important and valued, and the transforma transformation of just one of his kids brings joy, not just to God, but to, to all who share his heart of love. And as for the third story of the lost son, you can't help but notice the joy of the father over the son being found. Just look at verse 20. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
In the East, old men do not run. Yet this, this father was willing to embarrass himself and ran to meet his son. Why? Because he loved him. And he, he had a desire to show his son his love. But there's something else that's involved. This son had brought disgrace to the family and the village through his actions. And according to the Jewish law, he should have been stoned to death. If the neighbors had started to stone this young son, they would have hit the father who was embracing him. The father goes on to give him the ring, which was a sign of son, sonship, and the best robe. And it was proof of his acceptance back into the family. Servants did not wear rings, shoes, or expensive garments. The feast was the father's way of showing his joy and sharing it with others. Had the boy been dealt with according to the law, there would have been a funeral and not a feast. These three stories make it clear. God celebrates when the lost are found. The lost matter to God. But you know what? Jesus doesn't end his story at verse 24. If he did, well, that story sounds wonderful and so heartwarming. But there is a, there's a message that Jesus was trying to get across to that crowd. Let's continue. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. While he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never, and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. You cannot help but notice the older brother's unconcern for his missing brother. The father had been searching day after day for the younger brother and saw him coming from a long ways off. But this older brother didn't even know his, his younger brother had returned until a servant told him. Now, to understand why the older son was so upset, we need to understand how inheritance worked back then. If there was two sons, the older son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son one-third. Since the younger brother had already received his inheritance, everything the father had left was technically going to the older brother. It was the older brother's soon-to-be ring. It was the older brother's soon-to-be robe. It was the older brother's soon-to-be fattened calf. It was the older brother who was paying the price so his lost brother could come home and be a son again. Although the older son was with the father from his response, it's obvious he was way more interested in the father's goods 
than the father himself. Just like his brother, he did not know his father. He did not know his father's heart. Because if he actually knew his father's heart, he would have grieved alongside his father when he grieved. And he would have rejoiced alongside his father when he rejoiced. He should have said, it doesn't matter the cost to me. My brother has come home to my father. In fact, the older brother should have gone out looking for his younger brother, knowing how desperate his father was. He should have made it easier for his brother to come home. Instead, he had already distanced himself from his brother. He doesn't even say my brother. He says your son. He doesn't even recognize him as family anymore. To understand the significance of why Jesus would choose to end this story in this way, we have to go back to the beginning of this chapter. I had said earlier that there was a group of people who were muttering to one another. Let's see what they were saying. Go to verse 2. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Welcomes sinners. Or some translations say, receives sinners. That term meant that Jesus continuously made the choice to include people who were seen as not good enough. To eat with someone in that culture showed showed full acceptance and fellowship. Jesus was telling these stories in response to the Pharisees and the scribes' comment. The older brother symbolized the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, for they had the same attitude towards the crowd of people that the older brother had towards his younger brother. The story is not about one lost son, but two. The younger son was lost in his remorse over his bad choices, bad deeds, and the older son was lost in his pride over his good deeds. As Timothy Keller writes in his book, The Prodigal God, he says, everyone is wrong, everyone is loved, and everyone is called to recognize this and change. I love how Jesus ends this parable. My son, the father, said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father didn't have to go out and plead with this older brother, but he did because he loved him too. And he was inviting him to share in his joy. Jesus doesn't tell his audience, though, what the older son decides to do. He leaves the story open-ended. He's wanting his audience to respond and finish the story. And just like Jesus' audience was to respond, how will we respond to his story? 
I said earlier that the older brother was having to pay the price so his younger brother could come home. There is someone who paid the ultimate price so that all people can come home and be with the father. He is the true eldest brother. He paid the price not with his things, but with his life. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the true eldest brother who paid the cost so that we can come home and be called children of God. Maybe some of us this morning can relate to being the younger son. Maybe we have never known God and have always felt distant from him. Or maybe you, we once knew God but have gone a different way. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that God sees you and he values you. He is passionately searching for you. The fact that you're even here this morning is proof of that. And he's not waiting around to tell you, I told you so, but he's waiting with his arms open, wanting to embrace you and say, welcome home, my child. Maybe some of us this morning can relate to being the older son. Maybe we became a Christian a while ago, but have forgotten the simple truth of just being in our Father's presence and loving what he loves. We have been too busy trying to do the proper things and have allowed pride and selfishness to rob us of our Father's joy. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that God sees you and values you. He is asking you to be close to him again and to join him in loving people well. Our church website says, welcome home. Do we actually mean that? Jesus' story made the Pharisees uncomfortable. Jesus' story makes me uncomfortable. Uncomfortable because I find myself sometimes thinking and acting too much like the Pharisees sometimes. My small group just finished a series called Life Shared. And I was challenged to get uncomfortable and to get to know my neighbors, who I do not know very well. I truly believe that God's placed me in the neighborhood he has for a reason, but I haven't done much about that. I have no idea what my neighbors think about God, but I see it as my job to find out. So these past two months, I've started to value my neighbors by making them a priority in my life and praying for them. My goal is to know them by name and by need. And do you know what's neat? Is that since I've opened my heart up to this, God has provided me with more opportunities to run into my neighbors than I've had all year. And this past week, I was able to deliver some homemade baking to their door. I was pacing around my house for a good 10 minutes <laughs> before going over because I was super nervous. 
and uncomfortable. But I knew I needed to make more intentional actions to develop a relationship with them. So after 10 minutes of pacing, I walked over and knocked on a door, both, both sides. And the conversation that took place and the smiles that happened, it was so worth it. You know what, sometimes I think God makes it uncomfortable because then we have to rely on him more. In kids' church a couple of weeks ago, I was hanging out with our grade three and four class. And we were having a discussion about the book of Jeremiah. And during this discussion, discussion, one little girl who had been coming to our church for about one month, she raised her hand and she said, well, what is sin? Great question. And even before I had a chance to jump in, church, you'd be so proud of our kids. The other kids at the table said, oh, well, that's like lying, and that's like jealousy, and that's like disobeying your mom or dad. And I said, yeah, they're exactly right. And that's why we needed Jesus to come, because Jesus forgives us of our sins so that we can live with our Father forever. That's what it means to be a Christian. And have you ever prayed and asked, asked to be a Christian before? And she said, no. I said, oh, no, that's okay. You know, if you ever want to talk about it, I would love to talk with you about it. And that's where I was planning on leaving the conversation, thinking that all the kids are getting restless and they wanted to go play games. But then the other kids jumped in and they started saying, oh yeah, I I've done that before. Yeah, me too. And then this grade four boy leaned around the table and looked at this girl and he said, do you want to pray that prayer now? Because you can. And she said, yes. And I was, okay, well, uh, so I, I, I invited that grade four boy to come next to my side. And together, we went through the ABCs of salvation. A, agree that you're a sinner and are in need of a savior. You can't save yourself. B, believe that, God, that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. He is the only way. C, choose to put your trust in Jesus as your savior and your king, asking him to forgive your sins and choosing to follow him all the days of your life. And so we asked her, Are, is, is that something that you agree with? And she said, yep. And then the girl next to her said, oh, you know what, I actually have never done that before. And I would like to do that too. Wonderful. So I asked that grade four boy next to me, I said, would you like to lead them in prayer? And he said, yes. And so he prayed, and we repeated after him, dear God, dear God, I agree, I agree, I believe, I believe. I choose, I choose. Thank you for loving us. Amen. You know, that grade four boy showed me <laughs> that he could even apply the truth that the lost matter to God he chose to make time for that conversation. He's, and you know what? At the end of the prayer, he opened his eyes. He looked at these girls and he said, guess what? You guys get to go to heaven now. <laughs> and his joy was beyond even their joy in that moment. And I was blown away by the fact that he was celebrating with those girls. Earlier I talked about how God values the lost, how God passionately searches for the lost, 
and how God celebrates when the lost are found. Through the telling of these three stories, God, Jesus was, was challenging his audience to value the lost, passionately search for the lost, and celebrate when the lost are found. So let me challenge myself and you this morning with the same thing. In what ways are we valuing the lost in, in our area of influence? In what ways are we passionately searching for the lost in our area of influence? In what ways are we celebrating with the lost in our area of influence? Since the lost matter to God, the lost need to matter to us. And if you're sitting here this morning and would say, you know what, that sounds great, but I would consider myself to be like the younger son. I don't know God yet. Well, I want you to know that just like those two girls in that kids' church realized, you matter to God. And if you are ready to claim Jesus as your Savior and your King, there's no better day to do it than today. There's no better way to start 2020 than knowing your Creator, your Father. And if that's you, then I'm going to be waiting up at the front here during our next song, and I would love to pray with you. And in Renew, Pastor Dave's going to be waiting up at the front to pray with people as well. Let's pray together. Dear Father God, thank you for loving us with a relentless love. Thank you that the lost matter to you, that we matter to you. For those who recognize themselves in the, in the role of the younger son, I pray that they will not be afraid to turn of their sins and come home to you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us to come home. For those of us who recognize ourselves in the role of the older brother, I pray that we will not be afraid to turn from our pride and our selfishness and come close again to our Father. May we see many lives changed in 2020 as we walk out the truth that the lost matter to God. Amen. <laughs>